0: No one doubted for a moment who he was. There were plenty of beasts and dryads and dwarfs and fauns who remembered him from the days before his enchanting. There were some old ones who could just remember how his father, King Caspian, had looked when he was a young man and saw the likeness. But I think they would have known him anyways. Pale though he was from his long imprisonment in the deep lands, dressed in black, dusty, disheveled, and weary, there was something in his face, an air, which no one could mistake. That look is in the face of all true kings of Narnia, who rule by the will of Aslan and sit at Paravel on the throne of Peter the High King.
1: Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter-deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel.
0: And I'm Chase.
1: And thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you uh, you know are just joining us for the first time, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, and if not, this is a, it's a weird move to jump in right now, but hey, glad you're here anyway. But just a reminder that today we're going to be talking about the sixth book of the series, The Silver Chair, and a general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we're probably going to go into other tangents, uh, into other stories or pop culture things that we enjoy. We'll do our best to give spoiler warning spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we are discussing Chapter 15 of The Silver Chair: The Disappearance of Jill. Kind of. when did she go? I mean, she just went slightly vertical for a little bit. Yeah, Chase, the
0: most obvious you, thing in the world happened, but
1: they Chase, You, you wrote a summary for this chapter, and I'm and I'm proud of you for for putting so much into this summary because it feels like you were doing some real stretching here.
0: I mean are you saying that I had to essentially rewrite the whole chapter just to get enough to talk about for uh, a couple minutes?
1: Yes, that's <laughs> exactly that's what I
0: That's about how it went. That's how it felt going page by page through this. Uh but so that our listeners can understand why why we are already going full puddle glum on this uh on this chapter. I'll uh, get into the seminar so, I'll get into the seminary, uh, summary, and we can get started. Um, so, Jill sat on Puddleglum's shoulders to try and reach the dim light at the top of the tunnel. It was a hole, but at first she couldn't see much through it, so she stood on the Marsh Wiggle shoulders to try to put her head through. Then she let out a short scream, they heard some scuffling noises, the hole was blocked for a moment, and then Jill was pulled up through the hole by someone they couldn't see. Jill had vanished, and although they shouted after her, and they could hear and see nothing. Puddleglum said it was his fault, just like he was fated to eat that talking stag back in Harfang way earlier in the book, if you remember that. Uh, he had been fated to cause Jill's death. It's all his fault. Oh, woe is him. Um, Prince Brillian said, oh, it's just a shame and a sorrow that they had sent this brave young lady into enemy hands while they stayed back in safety in this cave underground. Eustace wondered if he was small enough to get through the hole after her as well. What really happened is that Jill had at first been seeing, not up into daylight, but into the dark night sky, which is why it wasn't like a bright light coming through. Uh, but when she had put her head all the way through, she saw fauns and dryads doing a dance. They had not only come out into the upper world, but into the middle of Narnia, would you believe it? The reason she hadn't got much chance to say anything uh, to the others below her is because around the dancers were some dwarfs throwing snowballs, and uh, apparently it's part of the dance, don't worry about it. But one of those snowballs hit Jill squarely in the mouth, and so she couldn't say anything for a second. Uh then she cried out to the Narnians for help, because they're buried in this hill, and the dancers and other locals came to their aid. The animals helping argued about whether uh, she's crazy, because she said Prince William was with her, and doesn't she know he's been missing? Uh, they gathered tools to help, then they saw Eustace come in, trying to uh, stick his sword through and swing at everyone uh, from below, and... After Eustace got his head out, though, he could see they were fine, apologized to the Narnians, uh, and then Jill shouted down the good news to the others, although obviously Puddleglum isn't going to believe her good news at first. Then a group of moles and dwarves who had been woken up arrived to dig. Before long, the Marsh Wiggle and the Prince were emerging from the darkness into the moonlight. For a moment, they exclaimed that no one had seen Puddleglum for a while and there had been search parties out for him. But then they all saw the prince. And the cheering and shouting began. Uh, They went to a nearby cave where supper was being prepared already and ate and rested. And Prince Rillian told his story and they thought how this witch must have been very like the white witch who once took over Narnia. How all these witches always attempt the same thing just with different plans for getting it. And that's the end of the chapter.
1: (sighs) And, like, I... It's just... We we talked about this. This could have been two paragraphs.
0: It could have been Parag- two paragraphs, but he went for the most convoluted way of doing anything in this chapter.
1: Paragraph one, they are trying to lift Jill out of the hole, and she gets swept up. Paragraph two, they figure out that she got taken, and it was actually Narnians because she goes, hey, dig my friends out, and they all emerge from the hole and that's the story that's that's this whole chapter
0: but you forgot about the dancing in the snowballs kel I, and having to wake up dwarves and all this other stuff
1: i feel like this chapter cs lewis was like oh man i told my publisher that it was going to be 16 chapters and it's got to be like you know 200 pages or whatever or you know whatever it you know, it's not 200 pages but like it you know however many pages this book ends up being where it's like hey it's gotta be at least this number. So let me stretch this out. Let me throw in some Narnian lore. Let me do a quick recap for everyone of what's happened. Uh, you know. Yeah.
0: Half of this chapter is waiting for shovels, and then half of the next chapter is eating breakfast.
1: Yeah. It's a good and time. It's a good time. But Chase, we're, you know, our heroes, if you remember from last chapter, um, they are uh they see a a hole with a pale blue light coming through, and they're like man there's this is weird, we don't know what this what this time of day is or what world this is chase yeah, does
0: this go up into another cave with a dim blue light in it
1: It's moonlight, chase yeah, feel it's like it's
0: outside, but it's not daytime
1: you know should have should have felt like this was the obvious thing where they knew they were approaching the surface and they see a light and it's not yellow, so that means it's probably." Nighttime,
0: I mean, but does nighttime even exist underground, Cal? Come on, what
1: what is nighttime, Chase? If not just the absence of sun, you mm-hmm. know, and you is the sun on?
0: And where does the sun really go when you live on a flat Earth?
1: Man, those are the questions that we really need to ha- like have answered. But uh, what we come to, uh, you see, that Chase and I are just stalling, looking yeah. for in all the wrong places.
0: Yeah, much yeah. like C.S. Lewis, we have to stretch this out into a full length podcast.
1: <laughs> right. Because we could end with you just saying they pulled Jill out, right? The summary was enough. And like you could have just added in a joke here or there. But they decide to lift Jill out uh to see what's going on because she's the only one that could break through the or like that she that could is small enough to, you know, go through the hole. Um and what happens is she's about to say, like, hey, like, we're we've made it, but it turns out she gets swept up. She gets hit by a snowball.
0: Yeah, as you do, as one does in a normal situation.
1: And then you get swept up. Uh like the 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 only part of a significance really here for me is puddle glum being like, you know, being real puddle glum has to remind you that he ate a talking deer. Uh, And feels real bad about it still. Yeah.
0: Cannibal. Famous cannibal. Puddle club.
1: But like, it, is it? I mean, <laughs> look. It's a, uh, you know, who knows. But, uh they basically give you, like, he gives you like a page of perspective from the three guys. And then immediately shifts to the perspective of Jill for like four pages. Or like, it And it's, there's just nothing.
0: Yeah. Which, if you were, say, like, stuck underground, or in a cave, and your goal was to get out of that cave by helping your friend up through that hole, and then your friend got helped up through that hole, would you be panicking that something went wrong? Or would you be like, oh, cool, it worked? Like... I just don't get the immediate, like, oh, she must be dead. The thing that we just did happened. So, therefore, it must be terrible now. Right. Uh, I feel like C.S. Lewis really leaned into the puddle glum as irrational when the whole book he's been the only rational one.
1: Right, and has progressively been braver and braver. Like, he's like, oh, yeah, he's still a cynic and everything. But in practical timeline stuff here, she gets pulled up, and they freak out immediately. And when we see it from her perspective, she gets hit in the mouth with a snowball while she's being held. And then she gets swept up into the dance. And then immediately, like, couldn't have been more than a few seconds, sort of like, how I'm reading it. It's like, hey, my friends are in there. Go help them out. Yeah. And they're like,
0: she calls down to let them know things are fine fairly quickly like within a minute or two what what's the point of having a panic
1: (laughs) right i don't understand the freak out here um and because she immediately is like hey go dig my friends out hey also one of them is prince brilliant and then like before we get to that point like i feel like again c.s lewis was like all right time to insert some narnian lore here and we find out like the this chapter exists basically to for us to understand what the snow dance or the great snow dance is.
0: Oh yeah, this is fully a... I want them to come out into nighttime because I want that plot twist-ish thing for the end of last chapter. But also, I need a reason for there to be Narnians in the woods at night when they come out to help them. Because otherwise, they're just like stuck still. So, this is just an excuse. This is a like, just deus ex machina excuse to have people available to help
1: right and and then that's fine you know i'm fine with there being people but sometimes then be to- the
0: reason that something happens is because the plot needs it
1: like couldn't it have been just as likely because they say later in this chapter hey there have been search parties looking everywhere for you that this could have just been a search party knowing that the group went north where it's like, hey, we just sent people north to where, like, you could have been, and they were, like, camped out around a fire, and they saw, like, you know, someone starting to, like, emerge from a hill. Like, as opposed to being like, the Great Snow Dance, where it's the first moonlit night where there's snow on the ground, and it happens to be a Tuesday, and, you know, we have a gathering of at least three different species and races. Like, it's it's too... Specific and random where it's like, you already have a built-in reason here in search parties.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, but didn't you want to know that fawns and dryads and dwarves all like to hang out and dance together every, every time it snows in the moonlight?
1: Chase, the amount of dances between different, like, species and races that we've seen in the Narnian books so far is honestly surprising uh you
0: you're not going out dancing every weekend,
1: no, especially not with the, you know the Greek gods of debauchery like is is Bacchus back
0: i miss is, I miss Bacchus we uh <laughs> we need to bring back Bacchus and his girls it's uh it's a, everything was <laughs> more fun
1: you're not wrong, man I mean the wine man. starts flowing. The dryads and the fawns are getting a little loose. Like it's a good time. Like everyone's out there. Literally
0: here. the god of debauchery just in the middle of a children's book. What a crazy
1: a children's book with Christian metaphors. And like, yeah. it is an allegory. And he's like, Hey, let's bring in other mythology. And like other people are like, Okay, maybe. That's fine. Who are you thinking? God of wine. God of orgies, God of party. Uh, and they're like, oh, are you sure about that? What about like God of love? Nope. I said what I said.
0: Yeah. You know uh the word debauchery, the thing that is literally just like means of Bacchus? <laughs> Let's bring him in.
1: <laughs> it's like it's still wild. But they're like like I, I think C.S. Lewis is just like, you know who likes to party? The Nardians. Narion's like a party, hear. and so they're like, "Hey, this party isn't like one of them wine and women parties. This is a snowball party." Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but the snowballs don't hit anyone if you do it right.
1: It, yeah, they're like, really. This is Jill's fault for not yeah. knowing the snow dance.
0: Yeah, if she was a better dancer, she wouldn't have gotten hit in the mouth, and then it all would have been fine.
1: Some real gaslighty, like victim blaming for getting hit by a snowball, uh, uh, but. Like, so she gets hit by a snowball, and then she's like, hey, my friends are in there, including Prince Rillian. And then they're like, "Like, whoa, Prince Rillian? What did she say? And they start, like, and C.S. Lewis comes in with this aside while they're waiting for, like, the shovels and the, and the, you know, pickaxes and things like that, where he has to let us know, hey, if you weren't aware, do you know who are really good diggers? Dwarves.
0: But just so you know that they're not being put to work, they actually really like digging.
1: Yeah, it's not a chore for them because they're so good at it, and they like it's just enjoyment. But Chase, do you know the things that I already assume about dwarves? If I know anything about them,
0: (laughs) they're good at digging.
1: (laughs) They're good at digging, (laughs) and if I need to be told this,
0: famous mountain dwellers
1: like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Do you know what they do? They dig. They are (laughs) pickaxes at digging. C.S. Lewis's contemporary, Mr. J.R.R., R. R., do you know what his dwarves are famous for? Mining. Which is a fancy word for digging.
0: I mean, they call it a mine. But, yeah. Mining <laughs> in a... Boat. What?
1: They call it a mine. But it is a hole.
0: They call it a mine. Uh... <laughs> I lost my train of thought. It just went fully off the rails.
1: So, so did C.S. Lewis, man. So it it all works.
0: Eustis Eustis comes out next, though.
1: Yeah. So before, they finally-
0: before the dwarves can can really get to work, Eustis is just out here, sword first, just swinging.
1: You know, which appreciate. You know, Eustis, like he's a, he's a man of courage now. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of valor. Um, a little bit of like you know get like ready-go-set kind of guy. Uh, but, you know, it, it works out, because then Jill's like, hey, be cool, they're friends. Uh, they just, you know, are dancing with snowballs, and Eustace is like, oh, the great snow dance. He yeah, of course.
0: It. Everyone knows this.
1: assume that he's aware of it, because he's, you know, a Nardian expert now. Um, but, they're like, cool, uh, we should actually like start digging our friends out, and, like, again, this is, like, Two and a half pages of digging, like of getting them either ready to dig, getting Eustace out there and being like, hey, we should keep digging. And then the actual process of digging before Puddle Glum comes out. And then all of the Narnians are like, hey, Puddle Glum, because Puddle Glum is now a celebrity, apparently. Yeah,
0: Puddle Glum, actually super popular. Like everyone knows him, you know um yeah they're like oh my gosh puddle glum from the eastern march uh we've been looking for you dude <laughs> there have been search parties the uh the king's assistant has been like specifically like sending people out for you yeah it's, uh, very specific and very random for this one person to be that noticeably gone but uh cool good for good for puddle glum good for the marsh wiggle community
1: yeah, it- um, it's kind of just wild that, like everyone is aware of Marsh Wiggles, everyone, like, which until this book, we were not. And this is the sixth book. and oh, yeah. this is a new creature that we are now aware of that apparently everyone in Narnia is aware of, and a the like the outcast puddle or like the outcast Marshwiggle, who is too optimistic and cheerful, who is being sent on this adventure. To be, like, tamed of his, you know, hopefulness and his, like, youthful energy. Like, he's not a chief. He's not a celebrity. Everyone's aware of him. Like, you know, like, he's like the Larry David or like, the famous cynic uh, of all, you know, Narnia. Where everyone's like, that's Puddle Glove. He comes in with the, like, <laughs>
0: You
1: know? But yeah. everyone's like, hey, it's Puddle Glove. And then... I will say, this is like the coolest moment of the chapter for me. It's what you read in the opening quote is when Rillian enters.
0: Yeah, it, uh, Rillian just comes in and like everyone is just like, oh, this guy. It's like, <laughs> who, uh, who brought the king, you know? Right. It, it really is like, I don't know. I'm actually of two minds about it because part of me is like, oh yeah, like, it's cool that people recognize, like, oh, clearly this is the king's son and like and he has been looked for and like, oh, we're we can all celebrate now. And then part of me is like, the idea that like there is some like inherent nobility and like a spirit of nobility that rests on the face that sets this random dude apart is uh, not It's real British. It's very like like divine right of Kings kind of kind of energy. And, you know, like say what you will about democracy. I still prefer it over having a King.
1: Hey, especially if your King is, you know, Charles or or (laughs) that's fair.
0: Yeah. Especially if your King just has giant ears and,
1: uh, (laughs) I don't even the, the ears are whatever to me. that's just you know that's just well, the
0: whiny the whininess really really drives it home, but the ears just uh make him stand out
1: ears are just for caricature, artists to have something to pick on uh yeah. but yeah, I mean it's your your choices right now are you know charles uh or or Harry who you know is sharing a little bit too much, so like let's just give us William. No, he and, just uh,
0: wants to let you know he got cold one time, you know?
1: He got something.
0: <laughs> got real cold. And then he uh, he thought about his, his mom a little bit, you know?
1: You know? Who that's, that's the
0: most PG way for me to uh, reference that story. I'm not going into any more detail.
1: <laughs> ah, man, I hope it's included in the crown. Uh,
0: that would but. be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs>
1: They're like, oh, who's, uh, who's Prince Harry with behind the barn? Could be anyone, could be anyone, but uh, yeah. So Prince William emerges, and I I picture the TikTok trend where it's like they're playing "Wildest Dreams" by Taylor Swift in the background, and like you're watching TV, and like you're just like, oh my gosh, like this, like the the one that I always see is like Aragorn like bursting through the doors in Two Towers, and like Vigo Mortensen's hair is like wet and grimy, and everyone's like, oh wow, <laughs> smoldering sexy hero like that's how i pictured everyone looking at really and where it's like you see me in hindsight and he's just like coming through the cave with his two majestic horses but yep. no i yeah,
0: were horses underground i guess it is good they dug them out
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, underground not the best place for horses uh, i part I, of it was just
0: like man they could have just like opened the hole enough for them to like just pull them out and what yeah.
1: what how would that have proved how good of diggers dwarves are chase
0: Oh, I mean, that's honestly how I, like, what I felt like they were trying to communicate. But now that I think about it, yeah, it's good that those horses didn't die.
1: Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm glad they didn't. You know, hashtag save the horses, uh, unless hashtag it's Strawberry. Uh, or Fledge, sorry. But, yeah. you know. Right, is that, that's I mean, like.
0: Change his name back to Strawberry, I can get on board, but.
1: Chase, Fledge is like, that's like almost like a hundred episodes ago. <laughs>
0: It, this look, I'm not positive, so don't hold me to this. This could be our hundredth episode. I'm not actually sure.
1: I'll We're well, getting
0: close. Hey,
1: we'll come back for the next pod. You know, before before chapter 16, and we end this book. We'll we'll do some math real quick and see how many uh, how many pods we've done. But that's
0: a, that's uh, a bold promise.
1: It's. I think it's going to take a lot quicker than you think because all I have to do is go to the table of contents and add one for our opening episode.
0: Oh yeah. Well, we'll <laughs> we'll let you know on a future episode of Chronicles of Podcasts.
1: Chronicles of the Podcast, where your hosts do very minimal research. Uh, but Chase, as we're you know, this is this is like the end of the chapter, right? So they get really and out, and then they're like, "Hey, let's eat food." And then we learned that, like, "Hey, oh man, those those classic witches, like from the north, always trying to pull something." Who are these witches, Chase?
0: I, well, if you read the book that immediately comes after this, you'll learn that the first witch they're referencing isn't from the North. But whatever, that doesn't matter.
1: It doesn't matter. Just like this chapter didn't matter, Chase, because that's the end of the chapter. There's nothing that happened. I'm glad you listened to it, listeners. Joke's on you, you know. (laughs) But... If you want to, you know, if you want to be pranked more by us as we're, you know, going through other chapters, you can find us anywhere. You find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Audible, wherever. Uh, And you can find us on Instagram and at the Chronicles of Podcasts. Obviously, we're not doing it further up and further in this time because there's nothing to dive into, Chase. Uh, But until next time, you know, don't get pulled into a hole where there could be hit a get a hit by a snowball. I don't know, man. What do you want from me?
0: Man. No comment.
1: Speaking of digging <laughs> below the surface, Chase, there's a hole in a hill.
0: <laughs> there is, in fact, a hole in a hill, and about uh, all that happens in this two chapters. This, st-
1: this chapter is so stupid. Like, why is this? Like this. This is one paragraph at two at most. Yeah, I don't like. Right. I don't have.
0: But Kel, there's there's dwarves throwing snowballs in a dance.
1: Like here's my thing. I... Fawns.
0: They said the word fun. Also, apparently <laughs> marsh wiggles are just everywhere now. That's what I took away from these two chapters. It's that everyone in Narnia is a marsh wiggle if they're near water.
1: The fact that like they can recognize a single marsh wiggle who's not like the chief or anything like that.